Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, the Andrew Lawton Show, here on True North on this Monday, June 26, 2023, a rare Monday edition of the program. I am going to be off to uh, cover something tomorrow. So we rejigged the schedule and I thank my colleague Harrison Faulkner for being his flexible self to make that happen. You'll get ratioed on uh, track tomorrow instead of the usual spot today. But I am going to talk a little bit later on about this big news story that has emerged in the past week, a proposed class action filed against the Canadian Armed Forces over the vaccine mandate. We spoke with Valor Law lawyer Catherine Christensen about this uh, a couple of months back. It was when this was first floated, and now we have a statement of claim that's been filed, so we will have Catherine back on the show and talk about that in a fair bit of detail. I also want to delve into the takeover of the internet, which I do not say lightly. I'm actually... Contrary to what uh, some of our critics on the left may think, I, I'm not prone to exaggeration. I, I try to be very reasoned and nuanced and measured with my words, but there is no other argument uh, for what is happening right now than that Justin Trudeau is attempting a broad-scale takeover of the internet and of the way we use the internet in this country. I, I said this when C-11 passed a couple of months back. This is the bill that allows the government to manipulate the algorithms of your YouTube and your Netflix and your Spotify. And I restate it with more support now that Bill C-18 has passed. Now, C-18 is the government's attempt to subsidize the media without taxpayer money. That's basically the argument here. So what the government has done is they've said, uh, okay, uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you guys are stealing news content. You're stealing it. You're thieves. How well... You know when people go on Facebook and uh, Google and Twitter and they see links to news articles? That's apparently theft. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure how that works. But that was Heritage Minister Stephen Gilboa's argument. This is what the government has committed to. This is what the News Media Council of Canada has committed to. This idea that there is rampant theft of Canadian news content. Now, frankly, I cover a lot of news outlets in Canada, and uh, there's not much worth stealing there. But nevertheless, the uh, arguments are a little bit hollow. So what Facebook did is called the bluff. They said, okay, if you think we're stealing, what we're going to do is if you pass Bill C-18 that says we have to pay for this content that we aren't even asking for, that other people are posting, we'll just block it all together. No theft here. Not in this fine establishment. So Facebook said this, and what did uh, Stephen Gilbo say? Well, you're thieves. You're you're bullies. You're bullies now. You were thieves, now you're bullies. The news media industry was saying, oh, you're bullying us. Hmm. So which is it? Are they stealing from you when they allow news content, or are they bullying you when they block news content? It stands to reason if you think that someone is stealing something from you, and you tell them to stop, and they stop, like they are actually giving you what you wanted. Or maybe all of this is a roundabout way, a roundabout way of not actually preventing any sort of theft, but just extorting money, extorting money 
from the government. And that is what exactly what's happening here. But instead of the government giving another $600 million bailout or, you know, the $1.4 billion CBC gets, the government said, all right, Facebook, uh, Google, you guys have got a lot of money. We'll let you just fund the bailout for the media. So as it stands, Facebook has said it's going to make good on this promise. There is going to come a time when a switch is flipped. And if you share a link to a news story on Facebook, it will not go there. Remember when the New York Post's article about Hunter Biden's laptop was being blocked by Twitter? Yeah, it may actually be like that for any news you want to share. Now, what this will look like, I don't know. There is a big question about what Facebook decides to categorize as news. One idea that I would love to see, and I don't know if this is an option, but I would certainly for my own Substack, I don't speak for True North, do this, is go to Facebook and say, I would like to opt out of this whole thing. I will waive any claim I have to money from you just to be allowed to post. And imagine if all of the independent media outlets in Canada did that, and all of a sudden on Facebook, the only media outlets allowed to post are the ones who aren't trying to extort from them large sums of money, like the Toronto Sun and the Toronto Star and the National Post, even Post Media is included in this, are trying to do. That would be my little dream on this, and we'll see if that is something that might be brought into fruition in the coming months. But Facebook is not backing down, and it's not particularly surprising, because I think that they need to send a shot across the bow before any other country, including the US, the European Union, starts to try the same stuff that Canada is doing when there are going to be far more zeros after whatever that sum ends up being in a Canadian context. So I've said time and time again on this show, I do not love big tech. I actually have grave concerns with big tech. I have been shadow banned on Twitter. I have had, uh, even on this very show, strikes from YouTube on a number of things. We we had the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell, on, and we were talking about faith and pillows. And YouTube gave us a strike because, you know, Mike Lindell happened to have been a bad guy that week or something. Uh, I had an interview with Danielle Smith when she was running for the leadership of the UCP, which months later, and by this point she was already the premier, was retroactively given a strike because in that interview she made an innocuous claim that I'm like nervous about repeating right now, which was that there are some people who are pro-life activists that don't like the COVID vaccine because they have an objection to something that if I say this episode will be vaporized because that's the reality of YouTube. So I understand the perils of big tech censorship better than many other people because we have to, uh, as an outlet that wants to share our work and uses as part of that strategy, uh, Facebook and Twitter and uh, by extension also Rumble and all of that and YouTube, all of this is to say I get it. But even so, In a battle between big government and big tech, I am going to side against the government. I want the government to lose because the very worst thing that can happen is when those two forces coalesce. And what Facebook is doing right now for all of its faults as a company is saying that it doesn't want to play ball with the Trudeaufication of the internet. And why that is so crucial is because the Trudeauian takeover of the internet is nowhere near over. It started with Bill C-11. Now we have Bill C-18. There are two other bills that will be coming down the pipeline that the government has promised 
that don't yet have numbers, that don't have names, but we know are coming and we know are going to be even more dangerous. One is a bill that amends the Canadian Human Rights Act to uh, institute uh, the return of Section 13, which is a bill that allows for the government to prosecute for online hate speech. But I put it in quotation marks because the criminal code already has a definition of hate speech and it has, as it should, a very, very high threshold, which the Canadian Human Rights Act definition lowers. It becomes a lower threshold for hate speech and it allows specifically for the prosecution of so-called hate speech disseminated online. Now, this is a culture in which using the wrong pronouns is positioned by some to be hate speech. This is a climate in which we have a whole-of-government approach to reigning in quote-unquote Islamophobia. All of this stuff is not a question of whether certain forms of expression are bad or uncivil or impolite or even offensive but whether we want the government to be regulating this expression. And no, I do not trust government to come up with a definition of hate that does not censor mere disagreeable speech. So that's one. And the other is tied to that very intricately, a so-called online safety bill that will put the purview of safety, safetying the internet, to use a verb that I'm making up here, in the government's hands. And they talk about this in the most agreeable way possible. They'll say, well, we need to protect the internet. There could be, for example, terrorist beheadings and uh, child pornography. And I'm like, yeah, those things are terrible. Don't like those, don't want those. And hate speech. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are we talking about all of these things as though they're the same thing? Because uh, generally speaking, you're going to find 100%, well, 99.99% uh, of people in this country that will support uh, doing everything possible to rid the internet of child pornography. The, those who don't support that are the ones that need to be reined in most. You will have a fairly broad consensus on getting rid of terror propaganda on the internet. Again, you have to be very careful about how you define it and how you characterize it and what free speech is and when it is no longer that. But when you start to go on hate speech, you get back to that very same problem I was just describing, where a murky definition that means different things to different people and will necessarily involve government becoming the arbiter of what you can say and do online. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So when government gets its way, it will not just control the algorithms, it will control the business models, and it will even control the boundaries of online discourse, the bounds of debate. So you can have government-approved content, you can have government-approved words, and government-approved opinions. And this is not conjecture on my part. This is even becoming heavily criticized by advocacy groups on the left, like Open Media, which is not a fire-breathing conservative group. In fact, I disagree with the folks at Open Media on a lot. But they understand fundamentally what Justin Trudeau doesn't, which is that the internet is meant to be an open environment, not something with a government gatekeeper controlling it. So Bill C-18 is not just about 
propping up dying legacy media outlets whose business models have not adapted to the modern era. It is one step of a multi-step process of Justin Trudeau taking over the internet and do not let anyone tell you otherwise, least of all those who are invested in this power grab. And I'm looking at you, Justin Trudeau and Stephen Gilbo. Want to move to the other issue I mentioned a couple of moments ago, which is a very big one. And, and while we can look at the situation in Canada and say, oh yes, the lockdowns are done, the COVID mandates are done, that's all the past. For people who were targeted by these things, it is not at all over. And there is one group in particular who had a hugely offensive and insulting uh, treatment by the government on this, and that was Canadian soldiers, members of the Canadian Armed Forces, who were subject, like everyone else in the public sector in Canada, to vaccine mandates. But it was particularly stinging for this group, who have given so much and continue to give so much in pursuit of Canada, to fight for Canada. They wear a uniform and put their own lives on the line to fight for their country and the ideas and ideals that this country represents. But Justin Trudeau looked at the military and said, you guys are not fit for service if you don't get the COVID jab. This was the decision that they had to make to either get vaccinated or leave. And this was not an easy decision. And again, it's not just exclusive to the military. It was also true of airline pilots, of federal public servants, and uh, frankly, of anyone who wanted to get on an airplane or a train. But for members of the Canadian Armed Forces, I, I'm reminded of that exchange when Justin Trudeau told, I can't remember if he was a soldier or a veteran. I think he had left the military by then at a Q&A that uh, veterans were asking for more than the government could give them. And it's amazing when you remember that, remember that exchange, remember that uh, line that the government had, that Trudeau had, how unsurprising it is to see the broader treatment of members of the military. But uh, as we talked about a couple of months ago on this show, there are some that are not prepared to just uh, ignore this and move on. There is now a proposed class action lawsuit that has been filed, and the lawyer representing the class is Catherine Christensen, who's the founder of Valor Law, and joins me now. Catherine, it is good to talk to you again. Thanks very much for coming back on the show today. Hi, Andrew. It's great to be back. So let's just start here. You've got 330 some odd uh, current and former members that are uh, in this right now, but the number you're actually representing is much larger than that, is it not? There is. Now, one thing I want to clarify is this is not actually a class action. It's a mass tort. So okay, I apologize. Seeking, I, I was going okay. based on a media report that uh, got it wrong there, but I thank exactly. you for <laughs> setting that straight. What is that yeah. uh, difference actually for people that don't know? Yeah, so a mass tort is seeking uh, relief so what we're asking for from uh, the government, just for those people that are named in the lawsuit as plaintiffs. A class action, on the other hand, has uh, example plaintiffs that if you match that person, then you're part of that class and you can get compensation through that without ever actually taking legal action yourself. Um, so this is a mass tort. Now, why, why go that route? I Because I know there was discussion previously of a class action. There was. Uh, the reason that we decided to go this route was because these people were the ones that stood up in October of 2021. Uh, they have stayed hard and fast that they wanted to hold the Chief of Defence Staff and, and the Canadian Armed Forces to account uh, for abusing their power. And so the decision was made by the group that they would do it as a mass tort versus a class action. 
Now, we're talking about hundreds of people that are known right now. There mm -hmm. is still a, a group out there that we don't yet know about. And, and what bothers me... Oh, I'm hearing me from them. <laughs> pardon me? I'm hearing from them. There's well, you are. And, and what bothers me so much about this is that there are two types, well, more than two, but two in particular types that stand out here. There are those who uh, were faced with this mandate that for whatever reason didn't want to get vaccinated and did and kept their jobs. And that was the only way they kept their jobs and continued to serve. And, and those who still wouldn't and said, okay, I, I have to leave. And, and the government views by design that first group as being a success. They view that as being great. We, we told them they had to do this and they did it. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing is that the people that left the Canadian Armed Forces, they were some were forced to leave, they chose to leave under a voluntary release. But there's a large group of them that were released under what's called a 5F, unsuitable for further service. This is the release category that if you are a drunk or a drug addict who won't get rehabilitated, you're a domestic violence offender, you're uh, sexual, you've been found to be guilty of sexual assault. This is the category they released those people under. So it wasn't just a fact that they chose to lose their jobs. When they lost their jobs, they lost them under what used to be called a dishonorable discharge. And in fact, several members of the chain of command told them it was a dishonorable discharge uh, and that there's implications for it. Like for instance, they can't re-enroll in the Canadian Armed Forces without the Chief of Defence Staff permission and they have to wait five years. Uh, they cannot apply for any federal government job because they're not going to get it for being released under this. They call it honorable now, but like I said, it's, it's, it's a real black mark on their record. So it was a, a big choice they had to make because it limited what they could do even out of the armed forces. Well, and also what I find so troubling about all of this is that it would be one thing if the military had this rule that you have to be vaccinated against COVID to join the armed forces. And I would still oppose that, but they would at least have some transparency there about what the rules are when you join. In this particular case, you have people that are being threatened, uh, their careers are being threatened and jeopardized mm -hmm. for non-compliance with a rule that never existed when they joined and hadn't existed for the however many years they'd been in service, but one day with a stroke of a pen did. And it's as though, you're right, they've committed some heinous act in uniform mm -hmm. if they don't go along with this rule that they never could have conceived of when they first joined. Right. So under the National Defense Act, Section 126, the Chief of Defense Staff has the power to uh, force a vaccination on, on members of the forces. However, they are allowed to say no. They then face, face a court-martial. And if they are found to have a reasonable excuse for not taking it, then they're acquitted. And they they're then have to be accommodated. He chose not to use Section 126, and he has been reprimanded for that by the review, uh, Grievance Review Committee uh, because they, first of all, they couldn't have withstood three to 5,000 courts martial. The JAG office just isn't that big. And the other is they couldn't risk one win because one win would put it into law that he can't do what he just did. Uh, so they chose an administrative route, which is how we end up with 5F releases uh, remedial measures that were accelerated far beyond anything they had ever done before. But he had been told in a briefing note uh, that I discussed last time I was on your show that he couldn't do what he is about to do. And the external grievance review committee has actually come out and backed me up on that and said, no, he could do what he did and that he breached the charter, section seven of the charter, uh, that freedom to 
say what happens to your body. And uh, he, under the National Defense Act, he cannot issue an order that violates the charter. So this is an unlawful order that he issued, and that has consequences in the courts. <laughs> there was, uh, I remember it was in August 2021, so the mandate wasn't in effect yet, but we were certainly hearing a lot of discussion about it. And I, I happened upon this, and I can't remember how, but on the Department of Defense website, there was a, a page, and on this page, it said that the Canadian Armed Forces, quote, cannot require a public servant to get a vaccine, nor is mandatory vaccination supported under Canadian law. And it added the same thing for, for members of the Canadian Armed Forces. And I reported on this in August 18th, 2021. Mm -hmm. Two days later, the page had been entirely scrubbed mm -hmm. and uh, had none of this. So, so, you know, obviously a government website is whoever wrote its uh, perspective right. of the law, but it does suggest that the Canadian Armed Forces had been operating up until this mandate came into effect with this idea that you've just shared, which is that mm -hmm. mandatory vaccination is not just uh, not a policy of the uh, Armed Forces in Canada, but not even legal if they wanted to. Right. So there were members who have never taken the flu vaccine, for example, with no repercussions. Uh, I, there's a member of the lawsuit who had never had a vaccination in her entire life. And she was serving in the Canadian Armed Forces without any issue until this came along. So this is why the lawsuit isn't uh, a COVID-19 lawsuit. What I've done is it's uh, I've been watching the forces for a while. There's been a lot of corruption and abuse of power in the ranks. And when he issued this in October 2021, he handed me a perfect example of how they abuse their power in the chain of command, because I've got a nice concrete start to it, October of 2021, and here's what all these people did to their troops along the way until to the present day, and it continues to this present day, because the mandate still exists. Uh, it, they still have to, are required to be vaccinated. And uh, the people that are still in, who somehow managed to escape being released through all of this, they're now being punished all over again. They're being sent to postings that are going to bankrupt them or are places that they don't want to be. Uh, we've got pilots that are being sent to fly desks, instructor pilots. We need instructor pilots to fulfill. Well, <laughs> Trudeau says he's training uh, uh, Ukrainian pilots, but he's got a whole bunch of instructor pilots that are sitting at desks instead of flying. So I'm not sure how he's going to accomplish that. Well, and for years, the, the military has had increasing difficulty in recruiting. And, and we know that a lot of the standards that have long been established in the military, I mean, on tattoos, on grooming, on facial hair, on dress, all of these things are being relaxed because the argument is that, well, you know, we uh, can't afford to discriminate against people with face tattoos because, you know, there's slim pickings in the recruitment offices. And here you have people that are not just willing to serve, but have been serving and mm -hmm. want to, even in spite of this, want to continue serving right. that are being told no because you won't get this vaccine which right. has whatever you think about it limited efficacy this long after uh if not negligible efficacy this long mm -hmm. after the mandate required them to have been vaccinated so it, it's of zero benefit right and uh these were people at the peak of their careers we've we've done kind of a rough calculation just of the 300 some people in the lawsuit they've lost over three billion dollars in training and experience this episode is brought to you by kia's first three-row all-electric suv the kia ev9 with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults 
with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. From this group that are in the, just in this lawsuit. So I can't imagine an administrative cost for doing all these releases, uh, people who aren't going to renew their contracts because they didn't like what happened. And now they're seeing that, you know, it was an unlawful order. What else are they going to ask me to do? Uh, billions and billions of dollars have been lost uh, through this whole thing for what is essentially an unlawful order. And we've got a military right now that says that they're not accountable to the law. I was in the, in the court, federal court in February and the crown stood up and said, this court has no jurisdiction over the chief of defense staff in military matters. And I watched the justice's eyebrow rise and I thought, oh really? Well, let's settle that question because in my world, the rule of law applies and no one's above the law. I don't care who you are. Uh, so this is part of the que questions that are going to have to be answered. Uh, let me ask you about the morale aspect of this, because, mm -hmm. you know, the, I, again, I, I tried to address this earlier on when I was talking about this uh, before I, I brought you in, Catherine. The, the fact of the matter is, well, I, I believe the mandates are wrong in general. I, I do <laughs> have a particularly... Uh, a, a particularly smaller tolerance for jerking around members of the military. And I, I think in general, Canadians left and right have, for the most part, supported members of the armed forces. We all uh, really embrace uh, Remembrance Day. We all really embrace veterans' causes. I remember uh, when the Afghanistan mission was on, you'd see those yellow ribbons just everywhere on, on cars and corporations would get involved. It's one of the safest causes to take up, support for the military, and, and support for veterans, despite, you know, little, uh, you know, squabbling you might get on the fringes on, on the left. So when we're talking about something like this to people who have served and continue to serve, it really stings a lot more than the mandates in some other contexts. And I, I was wondering if you just had any reflections on that and, and how that's been for the people who wear these uniforms and in some cases would love to still be doing that after all this. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to tell you that the morale is low. Um, in the Canadian Armed Forces, it's and the p number of broken people that we have with mental health issues is uncountable. Uh, I know that in our group of, of people, uh, we've had some attempted suicides. We've managed to save everybody because we've created this really strong knit group that we're looking out for each other. Uh, but there, ha there has been a real price to this whole thing. Uh, because there's a lack of trust between the chain of command and the people, the, their troops. Uh, and they were already suffering with some of the changes, cultural changes that the people that were signing on the dotted line to volunteer to serve Canada didn't agree with and were being forced to uh, adjust to it. And yeah, no, uh, I'm just seeing more and more broken people who, even the ones that are still in, that took the vaccine, uh, they regret. They have big, big regrets. And watch. And now, uh, since the lawsuit is launched, uh, they're coming forward, and we're hearing from them. Uh, and the vaccine injured. I've been getting more and more calls for that from them as well. Now, is that a, a separate legal fight, or can that actually be addressed under this same uh, mass tort that you filed here? 
I'm going to bring the vaccine injured ones separately uh, because we have to go through Veterans Affairs Canada first. They have to see if they can be uh, covered. They are not being covered right now by Veterans Affairs Canada. They're being told it's not service related. I disagree. E even though they weren't, even though this was a condition of their service to get exactly. a vaccine if, that otherwise they might not have. You don't take it, you're out of the military. I'd say that's a service-related injury. So that battle is ramping up. Uh, we have some quite severe injuries. Uh, there have been some deaths uh, associated with the COVID vaccine. So I can tell you officially that the COVID-19 vaccine killed more troops than COVID did because COVID killed none, zero. Zero people died. Even the ones that were on the front lines in the nursing homes, nobody died of COVID in uniform. So... <laughs> that's to me that says a lot uh, uh we forced something on people i mean they have their own policy that they're not supposed to vaccinate pregnant women and they they were still i had women that were one day away from maternity leave being pressured to uh take to take the injections so uh you know they didn't stop well and i think when you mention that and it's absolutely horrific and i i followed in particular a lot of the 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 vaccine injury cases in the united kingdom where mm -hmm. i think they had a, a larger problem because of the the particular vaccines they were pushing there and and how widely they were and uh, in in a canadian context we certainly don't hear these stories and I, and i think it all goes around to the idea of why choice is so central and why why choice is so pivotal here and if yes. you know someone wants to look at the situation and say you know i'm balancing this i'm weighing this and, and here's what i decide we should be encouraging that and, and i wanted to ask just because we we sort of glossed over it earlier but accommodations because mm -hmm. uh, anytime these mandates were in place the argument that was put is well yes of course you know if you absolutely need for medical reasons or religious reasons to get Ooh. an exemption you'll be able to but it, it's never been as easy as they make it seem and and i know yeah. in universities and the public service they fought tooth and nail against this i'm yes. assuming from your nodding that that was the same in the canadian armed forces that exemptions were basically not easy to get if at all uh, that's very true. There were very, very few that were uh, actually granted. Um, and lots of times it was because maybe they were a couple months out from a 3B medical release. So they were being released for injuries. And so uh, they all oh, will accommodate you for a couple months while you're in the transition center type of thing. Um, we had uh, here in Edmonton, CFB Edmonton, uh, Rutland, he was a colonel at the time. He's a brigadier general now. He's one of the named defendants. Uh, he set up a board to review every single accommodation request because he wasn't happy that some of his COs were granting accommodations. So they all had to go through this board. And one of in one of his decisions, he has written that on a balance of probabilities, your religion won't be harmed by taking it. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> so he's thrown a legal term in there, balance of probabilities. But how how is he in a position to decide if someone's faith has been injured or harmed by uh, taking this. It, I mean, it's gibberish, but it's also showing you the arrogance of it. Of, well, this won't harm your, your faith. Well, that's not his call to make. That's the individual's call to make. And our Supreme Court begs to differ with him about what uh, you're supposed to do with someone's religious beliefs. 
You know, and this is the the military that has, you know, long embraced, uh, you know, a, a specific uh, dress issue turban. If you're a Sikh, uh, mm -hmm. you can wear your hijab in your uniform if you are a Muslim. So these idea of uh, religious accommodations is not new, but it's amazing that all of a sudden it's, well, may maybe we get to decide how your religious practice really needs to manifest here. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't trust these people to be theologians any more than I trust them to <laughs> uh, be charter interpreters at this point. Right. Well, and I mean, the chaplain general basically came out and said that there are 25 recognized religions in the, in the CAF. Oh, really? I didn't know we were putting limits on who could, what religion was what in Canada. That's not what the Supreme Court said. So I found that a very interesting piece of information as well. And these are things that they put in writing. The er it, this is the problem, Andrew, is the arrogance and the feeling like they're absolutely untouchable. Um, if this lawsuit does nothing else, I hope it shows them that they're not as untouchable as they think they are. Now, you mentioned earlier the loss here of, of billions of dollars in, in lost wages and, and training. What is the ask? What is it you want to get out of this? Uh, so in total, uh, we are asking for approximately $500 million for 329 people. Uh, there is a $1 million ask for each person and then some other uh asks as well for special damages. Uh, but we have also got several other claims. There's 30 claims here. And some of them are declarations. Uh, the ask for funds is maybe three of the 30. The rest is all asking for, uh, for instance, for the order to be declared unlawful by a court so that the uh, release category can be changed so that people remove that black mark of a 5F. Uh, asking for them to take another look at their grievance system because how can you have the guy who wrote the order and, and demanded the order being the same guy that decides if you've been uh, grieved or not because that's what happened cds issued it he's the one you have to grieve to say it's wrong but he's the one that makes the decision on whether it was wrong so there's things like that in there where uh my my people are saying that the money is one thing, but that's not the main focus of this. It's culture change. They want to change what's happening in the Canadian Armed Forces, and they're willing to stand up and put their names on paper and say, this has got to change, that the, the abuse of power at the top is over. Catherine Christensen from Valor Law, thank you so much for coming on today. Great to talk to you again. Great to talk to you too, Andrew. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thank you. That was Catherine Christensen. Do follow this. We will keep you up on it in the course of our work at True North and let you know how that navigates its way through the justice system, which, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Bruce Party, is not perfect. It has a lot of flaws and a lot of faults, but I, I do think we need to be fighting these battles on multiple fronts. One is in the media and one is certainly in the courts and you have to win hearts and minds, but you also have to uh, win in the legal front as well. So uh, let's just, before we wrap up here, I got to talk about this and I, I try not to put too much stock into what the Toronto Star is putting out on a given, uh, on a daily basis, except insofar as it makes for good comedy. This column is a bit of a fun one. Uh, Chantelle Bear yesterday writes, Pierre Polyev is becoming a liability 
to conservatives. Pierre Polyev is a liability to conservatives. Now, this is a little odd for a guy who won the most decisive mandate from conservative members and has continued to enjoy increased popularity since becoming leader while Justin Trudeau's popularity is in the toilet. Now, I know some people watching the show are Polyev fans, other people are not, but surely we can agree that people who have never voted conservative in their lives and likely never will are not the ones that we should be listening to when it comes to defining what a conservative is supposed to be. Uh, she is doing this whole sort of like weird palace intrigue horse race thing about how uh, the conservatives uh, are not exactly able to return to the government benches and Pierre Polyev is the reason why. Because uh, these people's ideal conservative is Aaron O'Toole and we know uh, that if Aaron O'Toole were the leader of the conservatives, uh, they would actually win a majority government against Justin Trudeau. Wait, What's that? Oh, he lost. He, we did that. Okay, but he must not have been running as like a, a left-wing guy, right? No, he was. Oh, weird. So they want Pierre Polyev to be more of a red Tory so that he could do as astonishingly well as the red Tory the Conservatives ran in 2021 on the carbon tax uh, plan did. Well, that is uh, sure to win us over. So uh, let me just tell you, anyone who takes their cues from the Toronto Star on how to be a Conservative is not actually a Conservative at all. And you can take that to the bank. Uh, it's worth a little more than an issue of the Toronto Star you take to the bank. So uh, that does it for us for today. I want to give a a big thank you to all of you who tuned in. We will be back on Wednesday from an undisclosed location. I'll disclose it on Wednesday and I'll tell you all about it. It's, I'm overselling it. It's not that great, but uh, I, we are going to get a little bit of coverage out of it. So uh, that's all coming up in the week ahead. And we are going to, on Friday, have a special pre-Canada Day edition of the show. We are going to talk to a couple of great folks about the uncancellation of Canadian history, following up on the chat we had with Mark Milkey last week. So lots of good stuff planned. We will talk to you soon folks thank you god bless and good day to you all thanks for listening to the andrew lawton show support the program by donating to true north at www.tnc.news